0: Today's episode is sponsored by Meglio. Meglio is a fitness equipment company designed to help you get fitter, faster and more flexible and enjoy the process. With a range of resistance bands, mats, foam rollers, gym balls and more, everything is portable and lightweight so you can use it in whatever space you have available and enjoy the freedom of fitness on your own terms. I absolutely love Meglio and their range and it's my go-to brand for all of my workout goodies. They have very kindly given my listeners 10% of their product. So head to www.mymeglio.com and use the code MINDSET10. Thank you very much to Meglio. I'm Alexandra Gui. This is Mindset Unfiltered. My guest today is Mark Billingham, otherwise known as Billy. His life began as a tearaway kid on the streets of Warsaw, a world that saw him face death twice before he was 16. Knowing that the world was unlikely to improve for him there, he made a choice. He turned his life around when he joined the Parachute Regiment in 1983 before completing the gruelling selection process to join the SAS in 91 as a Mountain Troop Specialist. This decorated war hero, who spent 27 years in the armed forces, received an MBE for leading the mission in Iraq to rescue a Brit hostage. He also won the Queen's commendation for bravery after capturing an IRA sniper by using himself as bait. Mark was one of the highest ranks in the SAS, Warrant Officer Class 1. After his time in the SAS, he became bodyguard to some of the most famous A-listers, including Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, Russell Crowe, and Tom Cruise, and has appeared in various films, alongside the likes of Ray Winston and Idris Elba. Doors opened in the most unlikely of ways, and now Mark is the leading taskmaster on Channel 4's gruelling show, SAS Who Dares Wins? His two books, The Hard Way and Call to Kill, have had huge success and his third is in creation. Not only that, but Mark is giving back after the devastation of the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, Rebuild Globally was born. The charity, with Mark as ambassador, is embarking on a mission to provide a sustainable entrepreneurial solution for survivors. He tells us more about this in our chat and also please do go to rebuildglobally.org to find out more. Mark's mantra is always a little further, meaning to go always that little bit further than you think you can. Don't put yourself down. Don't let anybody else put you down. Give it a go. And even if you don't get to your goal, you'll definitely be in a better place than when you started. That's for sure. Meet the hardest man going. Mark Billy Billingham.
1: Are you Mark or are you Billy? My real name is Mark, but everybody calls me Billy. Everybody knows me Billy because you know when I joined the army at the age of seventeen, everybody just gets a nickname or shortens your last name, which Billy is short for Billingham. So, so Billy's probably best as people know me. So yeah, but feel free to call me what you want. I've been called worse than Billy or Mark, let me tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you Mark at home and Billy at work?
1: No, even my wife calls me Billy. Does she? Her kids call me, well, kids call me Dad, but I mean... <laughs> yeah. you know, the only ones who really call me Mark is my brother's sisters, or my mum and dad used it be before they passed away, but that was it. Yeah, and, you know, sort of cousins, it's it's, it's Mark, but everybody else is Billy.
0: Kids yeah. don't know what parents' names are, I don't think, half the time. I, never knew, no, I don't no. think I ever really realised that my parents had a real name. So you've just yeah, finished... So- um, filming SAS Australia,
1: have you? Yeah, so. we have, we we did a series last year, um, which was a celebrity series, and it went really, really well. Better than they expected, to be honest. It, it topped all the ratings. It was the biggest show, that, uh, the biggest reviews I've ever had. And to that extent, they went, right, we definitely want more. And we went out, what month are we in now? I don't even know what we're in. went out March, I think mean, it was. Yeah, March, end of March, I think it was, and we started filming again, and we did a celebrity. It was meant to be just another celebrity version, and just prior to us flying out, literally, they said, hey, is there any chance you could stay a little bit longer and do a a civilian version as well? Of course, we said yes, and we were all able to make that work, so we stayed out and did a... So We've now done series two and three. Series two is celebrity, series three is the first civilian version they've done, which was... A shorter version version of what we do in UK, but it was kind of a pilot test, and I'm pretty sure that well, I know I've literally had a call three, or four days ago saying, "Is there any chance you can come back in September to do another one?" So it's gone mad over there, so crazy.
0: Is there? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot more co- to contend with in Australia uh, than the UK, anyway. So is there? I guess there's a development to what you can do within the tasks and stuff is there by being in Australia?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, UK, we've kind of exhausted UK as in, a, as in a play play area. You know, we've done Scotland, we've done Wales, we've done Scotland twice. And I think the viewers want to see some variation, whereas Australia's got everything. It's own country, hasn't it? It's got desert, it's got jungle, it's got sort of European-looking terrain. They've got everything. So kind of, we're kind of spoiled for choice out there. And... With that comes, as soon as you see terrain, we can build an idea, you know, and that's really how it works. we go out, we'll have a look at an area and go, you know what, that canyon there, we could do a fall off that, we could do this, we could do that, and it offers everything. So there's an abundance of sort of challenges and ideas that fall out of the location which they've got. So it works perfect.
0: How Um, different is the life that you're in now compared to the life that you envisaged back when
1: you were at school it, geez well when I was at school and one of the quotes I always remember is Billingham you're going nowhere
2: yeah
1: from my school teacher you are a waste of time waste of space and probably at the time he was right to say that because I was I was a bad kid you know I was a naughty kid I was destined for not good places because I got into a lot of trouble and I never say I got into the wrong gang I was part of the wrong gang I knew what I was doing like most of us do, you know, we all want to blame somebody else, but I was a bad child and I know that. And uh, so what I envisaged really, I didn't know what to, the age of 15, which was a massive turning point for me, I'd been in a lot of trouble with the law, I'd been in a lot of gang stuff, I got stabbed, I almost died and I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I didn't really know where my life was going to go. What I did know was I needed structure and discipline more than I was getting back home and not to blame anybody back home, you know, I needed to be in that sort of environment So I knew I wanted to join the army and once I finally got in and joined the army, that was me. That was my life. That's all I wanted to do then till whenever. And then obviously at some stage in in that career, you have to step out and finally I stepped out after I say 27 years, it was probably more like 34 years I actually did. And so thereafter, so so I envisaged where would I be in the military? I never saw myself going to the SAS. I just thought I'll be, where I am doing what I'm doing and then the next stage I always found myself wanting to challenge myself all the time want to go to the next see if I can go to the next level see where I can go next and I thrived on that mm. so the next the biggest challenge for me was the SAS so I went from normal military into the STS and did that and then from there you know became a leader in the SAS, did all these crazy wonderful things and when you're doing that and meet working at a strategic level you meet really interesting people around the globe and that opens up the next lot of doors for you. So more opportunities I never thought of, you know, but to end up where I am now, I'm obviously very grateful for where I am. And it's, it's just a total 180 of what my life was. You know, I spent the first sort of 30 years of being in the military, didn't, well, our first sort of 10 years in the parachute and the rest in the SAS denying that I was doing what I was doing because that's what we did. And to go from, that yeah. undercover dark world to all of a sudden I mean, magazines. The opposite. You know, oh, it's crazy, and that was hard to adjust to. It was, it was weird, you know, and it felt felt false. If if you know what I mean, it, because it came a stage you know, where people put two and two together and realize, you know, you're either SAS, or SBS, or you or something like that, and it was all speculation, and I never admitted to what I was doing or what I was until a certain point when everybody around me apparently was in the SAS and I knew they weren't, they were all lying and they're all doing, I thought, hang on, I mean, I'm the only fucking bloke in the SAS here. And So then I started to, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And then I had to put my head above the the parapet to be who I was and enjoy it. And it was was, was awkward because of the life I'd lived and now what I am doing, being in the limelight so it, it was it was weird it was a real weird sort of transition but now i mean i'm really enjoying it i like where i am i know where i am and i know what i want to do so yeah so that i what i envision now is just continue to do what i am doing you know and helping people as well you know I've, the platform gives me an opportunity to help others and it's it's brilliant and i love it
0: it sounds like you've always been Open, like have, you've always been willing to be open to those doors because I think it's a it, you know it's, it's very easy isn't it to not just sort of people so often are like oh I wish I could do x y and z and and so often I feel like it's because they're not aware of the doors being there or and not willing to just nudge them a little bit whereas mm-hmm. it sounds like you've always been you know open so oh, okay here's an, here's an opportunity all right off I go yeah
1: Absolutely, I mean, and I, I'm not afraid to fall down and fail, and that's the, that's the, that. I would say if I was telling him, that's the key. I don't want to fall down. Nobody wants to fail at anything, but if you get knocked back, so what? Pick yeah. yourself up, go again, or re-attack it in a different way. And I've always done that. You know, I, I ended up, you know, as, a, as the bodyguard thing kind of fell naturally because military security and dealing with so that was all right. But then to go into in front of a camera or to work with. It was totally alien to me. I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go and just go for it. It just, you know, things work out and you make stuff happen. It's... Another wild example was I went out to Haiti when I, after I left the military, I had a business. And one of the things we were used to do was kind of, I call it construction, but it was prefabricated building type stuff. I never built anything in my life other than Lego. And I went out to Haiti after the earthquake and I just had this vision. I was looking at a swamp, literally a swamp, which was surrounded by... Chaos, debris, and dead bodies, because it was just after the earthquake. And I went, I could build an hotel here. And I remember somebody looking at me going, you know, I think you're losing it. And I went, and I had this and I just did it. I went, let's do it. I didn't know how to build, but I knew somebody who did. And I knew how to put the building my building blocks in place to get. So yeah, so it was just like having a go at things. And, you know, not everything's worked, but a lot of things I have.
0: That your at the beginning of your book, you have like a like a ten point toolkit almost. It feels like, and and actually, you say, um, I think it's if you don't reach your goal, you'll still be in a better position than you would be had yeah. you tried. And that really resonated with me. It's and and like you said, it's it's having the courage to to shoot among the stars, isn't it? And you're still you're still going to land somewhere that's sort of better than, than where you are.
1: Absolutely, because we all sit there and go, oh, I can do that. Well, actually, get off your ass and go and have a go and do it then. And I will get off and have a go. Yeah. And it, it's exactly that, not being afraid. Because as you just alluded to, you know, there's my goal. I want to be, I don't know, the, the captain of the football team or whatever. I'm going to go for it, but I wasn't quite good enough. But now I'm in the B team, I'm the captain of the B team or on this. Great. Yeah. I didn't expect to be wherever. So, yeah, it's just... Not be afraid to step over the line and have a go, and you will definitely going forward. You'll definitely be in a, in a better place than where, where you were from when you started. Yeah. And other avenues open up. All of a sudden, on that journey to become this, you meet somebody else who talks about like you know um, conservation. I was like, oh, I love animals. I want like, yeah. Bang! Then I was off doing all that. Then close that door or not close it. Just park it for a bit and off go and do this and do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So but you've got to get out there. You got to you've got to be no one's gonna come and drag you by the hand and go, hey, he's an opportunity, because they don't. No, You know, and the other thing of also, sorry, I always go off at of a tangent when we're talking, but the other thing is, you know, people go, oh yeah, you got lucky, you don't get lucky, you make your luck, the harder work, the luckier I am. That's the way it is, like anybody, not just me, everybody. Nobody becomes what this famous person, this rich person, this whatever person overnight, it just doesn't happen. No. You have, have one. You have to. There's got to be something about you, and you've got to have something in you to to be there, you know. And then once you're there, it's how you become who you are once you're in that position. If you know what I mean.
0: I fully so, own yeah. my presenting career because I started as an actor. And I fully owe my presenting career to my agent, my acting agent saying, right, darling, what what we need you to do is turn into the yes man. You know, you need to start and we're going to get you to say yes to everything and just let's just trial it for a little while. Let's get you to do as much as possible, you know, in the next few months and meet as many people as possible. And I left that and that was in Covent Garden and I remember it so clearly walking away from that meeting and having a phone call from a woman called Liz Fuller who was at that point Miss World I think she was or certainly Miss Great Britain or something you know and um, I'd come across her before just randomly in in I'd worked in nightclubs and all sorts of stuff like that you know and um, she said um, she was she said oh you're a presenter aren't you I was like yeah thinking of Kenny's voice in my head. And at that point, I hadn't done a day's presenting in my life. You're a presenter, aren't you? Yeah. Brilliant. I don't suppose you're um, free this evening, are you? Yeah. I was like, shit, what's happening? (laughs) And she went, oh, thank God for that. My presenter's just pulled out and I need someone to to host the finals of Miss Great Britain. Can you get to my nightclub at six o'clock and we'll put you in for a dress fitting? Show starts at eight. I was like... Oh, Kenny, you're in so much shit. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I put the phone down and was like, What has just happened? And I tell you what, had I not had that conversation with him two hours before, I'd have said no to the first question. No, I'm not a presenter, but I can probably find someone who is, or, you know, I, I, or I recommend blah, blah. You know, I, I wouldn't have said yes to it. I'd have shied away and, and been scared. And that night, that overnight, my entire career switched. And then I was on the right path. I was, I wasn't right as an actress, that wasn't right for me. But immediately, the doors opened and and I went flying off down that direction. And before that, I'd also see myself as being a little bit unlucky. Um, You know, I wasn't getting things and blah, blah, blah. And it was very easy. Had I not been sort of, fairly positive, any human anyway, I could have easily just downward spiraled because I wasn't on the right path because I wasn't open to it. And that completely switched. And then suddenly that yes person became a much more confident, much more positive and it just kept going. And I never forget that moment because I'm like, well, if that, I've got to listen for those opportunities because every time they happen and I have that courage of going, shit i probably can't do it but let's give it a go anyway it always works as soon as i get out of my comfort zone
1: that's exactly it, it it's stepping out your comfort on because even doing it now you, we're still people get a little bit nervous i'm you know? not nervous but you get you still got to be prepared and oh i don't really know it's gonna gonna go but what I, what I learned just listen to what you said there which is brilliant just say yes to everything, go for it and you make it work and it's we, in the UK, in the UK, in the uh, in the army, you know, just bluff it. No, no, yeah. no, too tough. Just bluff it, and and it, you kind of bluff it, but you don't. You you fumble your way through and make it work. And actually, people go, "Wow, that's a breath air. That was good." Do you know what I mean? But then I also you know, find
0: you know, that do you? And then you fine tune. And then if you need to learn yeah. something more about something, then find someone who can teach you, and then you'll be better at it the next time you do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's like I do. Stand up talking now. I go around, you know, speaking to an audiences, and I never wanted to do it. I never felt confident to do, it, and I thought, oh, I don't really know how to do this, blah blah blah. And then I did one for charity, and it went so well. Then I just thought, you know what? Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. And I find, and I actually love it now. And it, it, I can, you know, engage with people and get people laughing and feeling sad at the right time, and all this sort of stuff. So until you've done it, you're right. Say you can do it, and go for it. And it's, it's just. You gain confidence, in you? It's just, um, but you, you it is, just uncomfortable. You think, you know what, I can do it. I, another sort of, I don't know, similar to that, but I, I remember, you know, there's times when you, you 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 feel, oh, I know the answer to that, but I'm not going to say it because you're probably too scared to make a dick of yourself, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I also, it's better to sort of ask a bone question than make a bone mistake, and it's also have the courage of your conviction to go for it. and. Look a fool for a minute. doesn't matter. And one of the best examples I ever have was when I got to the regiment, um, you get put on this massively intense uh, medical course because obviously you're behind the lines. You're on your own. You, you have to be a doctor. You have to amputate. You have to do this if, if shit goes down. So you have to be trained to a really high level. And, and the curve learning curve was massive. And it was like 10 weeks of solid bang, 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 bang. Anyway, so we got all this information. We did all this sort of trauma work and all this stuff. And then I got sent down to a medical faculty down in, COVID, uh, in Oxford at the John Ratcliffe Hospital. But it was doctors from all over the world. These were the top doctors from all over the world, from America, from Australia, all over. And we're all in this massive room and me, and I'm thinking, looking around and thinking, they think I'm a doctor. I'm an SS bloke who's just done some medical work. And I'm like listening to everything. Yeah, I kind of understand that. I didn't understand all the terminology of Latin and all this stuff, but I knew how to work on a body and how to do this. And then this, the head consultant who was running the whole faculty, just pulls up a big screen and he put a load of things up, he goes, okay, the casualty's got this, 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 all these and of what's happened. And he goes, right, come on then, what, what do we do? What's happened? And the whole place, must've been about 80 of us doctors. Nobody was saying it when everybody's like, mm. I thought, I oh, know the answer, I've got that. I was just too scared to put my hand up. And then the little devil, the angel go, oh, go for it. No, don't do it. Go. I just went, fuck it, bang shouted out, and as I'm shouting out, my voice is you know projecting what I think the problem is you know, attention pneumothorax and needs this, this, this. You side saw me that's going, You dick, you dick, yeah. you dick.
2: <laughs> then the,
1: it just went 100% right, and I just went, Phew. and I must have grown six foot in that room and I'm on. wow, I can do this, yeah. I've just got to keep yeah, going yeah. for it. And that was a real thing yeah, that's thing so- that mad that was- about. And I, I hate when people go you've got a situation going on and somebody goes, um, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. If anybody says that to me again, I'll just grab them around the fucking throat and strangle them. But if you knew it was going to happen, why didn't you say it?
2: Hmm.
1: You, know, I, you know, I make sure I don't ever say that again. If I think something's going to happen i I think this is the way, I'll say it. And it might be right, it might not be right, but have the courage, your conviction to go for it and just do that. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying there when you just say yes, yeah. never present it and then go, I'll figure it out. It'll work out. And it did work out and it was right to work out.
0: I am currently studying as a counsellor and i've learned a lot about um like people's conditions of worth is what is and then and what they've learned like their internal locus of evaluation once they're growing up so if you're if you spend your life being told by parents or by teachers that you can't do stuff which is a really easy people don't it doesn't even have to be a negative like a nasty thing but even down to the point of saying, oh, you're so silly to a child, you know, which is such a common thing, isn't it? You know, we all do it. Wouldn't be an intentionally nasty or anything. But telling a child all the time, oh, you're so silly. Oh, silly girl," Oh, silly boy. That is what tends to be like a, an instigator for not having the courage to speak out and stuff like that when you're that little bit older, because you have that association with yourself when you say something that yeah. someone is going to go oh you're silly when we're older that trans that transfers into oh we're stupid and we're rubbish and we don't do we haven't said that right or we, we can't say it because someone is going to call us stupid and I wonder how actually you probably have come across this a lot anyway with your with obviously through the army but also through Teaching people through the SAS, who dares wins, like how to switch that mentality in an adult.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like so. If you if you read something over and over again, it becomes it's in your head. It's repetitive, and you start to believe in it. You're right. I mean, the thing is, with, with the way we talk to people on on the on SAS selection, and we did in I, I say it as I see it, I tell them the thing we I find today is we don't. Tell the truth. We're all too scared to tell the truth because we're gonna upset somebody. Well, I I am not like I think if I'm gonna upset it, I'm gonna upset you, but take it on the fucking chin because here it comes. And I'll say it because I believe, it. I don't say because I think it sounds good, you know. And i try to be as honest and positive as I can, or if it needs to be negative, I'll say it if it's negative, you know. I don't try to keep hammering you know, I I might call somebody an idiot one or two times, but I don't keep going on, at, on at it and to make somebody feel down like you know
2: right. i'll
1: always pick up. The, the way they teach you to talk to people in the army is build them up knock them down build them up knock them down you know don't see if you build somebody up too much then the opposite to what you're just saying there you know where you, you're big, saying they're silly they sort of feel silly feel like an idiot but if you tell people they're great they're great they're great then that's it i'm great mm-hmm. no one's going to tell me any difference so it's a, it's a fine balance isn't it about it's how you choose the 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 right word at the right time for the right thing. But I always think it's gotta be honest. You gotta be listen, you know, it's like we are all too see, look at schools today and they can't there's no competition now. There's, oh, there's no this, there's no that. But we're not all equal, not all the same. We're not it's as simple as that. Right. You know, I were I couldn't just about spell my name before I left school. You know the kid next to me was brilliant. He's probably working in head of Bartley's bank now, telling me when I can have a mortgage. But yeah. I was good at thinking else. So that's where but we've lost that we don't push the kids to where they need to be
0: no i agree we're we sort of pussyfoot foot around it but competition is really yeah. healthy like yeah, I, yeah. I i was fiercely competitive at school i wanted to be better than the better than the best person that's what made me climb but had we yeah. all been trying to be as as we are now like far too precious everyone's a bit beige <laughs> or has the potential yeah. of becoming a bit beige
2: <laughs>
1: Life's a competition, isn't it? Life is it's a challenge. When you get out those doors, you've got to fight for what you get. As we alluded to right at the very start, you didn't just become successful, you had to work at it. Hmm. You know, you, you, in that process and that journey, there's an element of luck. Of course there is, but it ain't all pure luck yeah. because your success will soon fall down if it's just based on luck, because luck runs out. Yeah. You know, you've got to work on, you've got to be, but you also have to be told that you ain't as good as you think you are, or you actually did better on that. You know, it's nice to have a chuck on the back, a tap on the back, but it's also nice to be told the truth. And I just think we're scared of it today, you know, we're scared of what we say and how we say it. But like I said, when we did the mirror rooms and when I talk, so i will say it as it is. And the odd F-bomb drops in there quite regular, of course, because I like to fact, I think, sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, you just... And, and it, I'll tell you the beauty of this, what I've learned from the show is everybody that's been on there, and I'll come out of some of the interviews. I think maybe I was a little bit harsh there, but everybody's come back to me and going, you know what, well, thanks for telling me that. No one else has told me. And I, I knew it. I just needed it to be told. And, and now I believe it because I've heard it. So it does, it's it's a great feeling. And, you know, I have so many messages of people saying, you know, oh god, you you were so harsh in that interview. But the person I was interviewed comes back to me and says, Thanks, I really appreciate it. You know, and everybody's better for it. So we need to be told the truth, you know as opposed to flowering things, you know, you got to tone some things down, but it's, it, you do need to be told what is right, what is wrong, what is black, what is white, bang, 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 you know, and we are, we're all scared of it now. We're too scared to
0: I had, uh, Mike...
1: what is on.
0: Yeah, you're so right. I had Michael Maisy on here as a guest, and he was oh, on, yeah. uh, I'm not sure which series of yours, but he, he said that the process was brutal, but exactly what he needed.
1: Yeah, he was, I think he he was in Chile. Yeah, so that would have been series three or four.
0: Yeah, I think you're
1: right. He, he wrote a book. Hey. Did, did he write a book about, his, yeah. he spent time in detention as a kid, didn't he? So oh he wrote. Yeah.
0: His journeys, it was, yeah, fascinating, yeah. fascinating interview as well.
1: It's good, yeah, he's he's a good guy. I love the way he's turned his life around and he's, he's you know helping other people and yeah. sharing his story and tells it as it is, which is yeah. great.
0: He's really yeah. thriving. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how... Obviously, I know that the selection process is nothing like the SAS, but presumably the extent that you push people in Who Dares Wins seems... A sort of equivalent,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, a brutal. Well, show. It's it's not SES selection. It's yeah. called you know it's not. So, but but the, there's a key ingredients we take from SES selection. Yeah, and we hammer into that show. So there are relevances too. You know, I always get the uh, you know my ex mates going. Well, we never ran up a hill with a tire. Of course, we didn't. No, but that that represents something else. You know, so the people are just being a little bit. So, yeah. um, but what is true to the characteristics of S.A.S. Selection, as you see on the TV and the real S.A.S. Selection, is it's about the person.
2: Yeah.
1: It's about somebody pushed back to their bear, not to break them. It's definitely not to break anybody because you're breaking somebody. I mean, anybody can break somebody. That's easy. It's about peeling them back to the fine line of feeling vulnerable, feeling ready to find out who they are and what they can do, which they never believed they could do. And we all, we can all be pushed to that point. And that's what it's all about. So the, on SAS selection, that's what the real SAS selection, that's what it's about. It's not about whether you're a great soldier and whether you're this or that or the other. They'll train you to be what they need to do, but they need that person. They need to know who you are, what your strengths are, what your capabilities are, what your weaknesses are, what you're afraid of, what you're good at, you know? And then then you go, okay, I've got the true person there now. I know who I'm working with. Cause we all, we all do, we all put up our, you know, social sort of face and our social life and our real life and all that sort of stuff. But SAS selection is designed to get to who you really are when you're down and and then see you know, whether you're ready to go that little bit further and do a little bit more think outside the box, add something to what we're really looking for. And there's not one template because we're all different, you know, and the show, we take those ingredients and we hammer it in that small time to get that and The way they get on the real essay selection, and the real essay selection is six months long. In order to really find out who somebody is, you do you need to be deprived of sleep, you need to be right at your lowest ebb, because that's when shit hits the fan. That's when you've really now got to rise up and go that little bit further. Like so the fight the sort of 10-11 days we have with them, we hammer them, they get they don't get a lot of sleep. I mean, you only see 40 minutes of in each show, but they they just had 24 hours of 18 hours on the feet, working, being pushed to the limits, you know, so we really do, we hammer them for that week, to condense it, to get them to that stage of how we would be on selection, to then get into their minds, because it's all about your mind, it really is, it's about, I don't care if you look like a fucking Adonis and you look great, we're not interested in your image, we're actually interested in who are you, what you really like. Are you selfish? Are you a team player? Are you willing to take it on the chin when you get it wrong and pick yourself up and go again? That's exactly who we're looking for. And we get that. So those characteristics are exactly as they would be on the real SAS. That's what we're looking for. And that's based on our experience. You know, I was a SAS a DS directive staff in the real SAS and I did it in the parachute regiment. So I've got an experience of what I'm looking for and what the window into the regiment would be. Mm-hmm. these people on the tv are never going to be in the army they're never going to be in the sas and then so far i wouldn't really have met anybody i don't think that could have been there but it, it's unfair for me to say that because i've only met them over a small period of time yeah. but it's it's not we're not looking for a super soldier we're looking for a person who are you what are you really about you know and we just on the last show i don't know if you saw it, we had that 18 year old girl who was awesome freaking awesome you know what i mean and she just had it in there. She wanted to prove to herself and 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 but it was for her as well. It weren't just for her family, for it was for her. She wanted to know who she was and, and she did amazing because she had a good strong mind.
0: Yeah. I'd love to do it. Please let me do the next show. I'd love to. Mainly because um because I, I quite like the idea of getting down to the rawest part of you and working out what needs fine-tuning. And I can only I sort of I would say actually. Like my baby's four months old, this has probably been the the most exhausted I've ever been in my life, and I'm a chronic insomniac. So you know, I always thought I would, I was, I was, I always thought I was good at no sleep. Only the last few few months has really tested me because it's with the relentlessness of it. And then when I'm at my like baseline of fucking hell, I literally couldn't be any more tired, <laughs> and I still have to function. <laughs> And i and I'm and, I'm, and then, then you see a snippet of who you actually are. And I'm not sure that's quite as nice as
1: I thought it was. <laughs> you know, once, once you're down to that, you know, yeah. you just had a snippet, but once you're down to that, you now you're in that zone because there's nowhere else to go, you're yeah. totally exhausted. You know you're being pushed, and now you find out you're you're an angry, tired person oh. or a fucking
2: yeah. whatever you are. Yeah. Then
1: once you know that, it you know, you can't you can't honestly train for sleep deprivation. You can't, you know, yeah. you, you, you kind of, you can tolerate it but more. That's all you can do. You can tolerate a little bit more and you know yeah. what the steps are to improve on it. You don't become, now I can stay awake for the rest of my life and I don't have to sleep. It's like, you don't you don't train for a kick in the balls. You get a kick in the balls, it's going to fucking hurt. And yeah. you know what? You can do it 10 times. It's going to hurt 10 times. It doesn't get any easier. But you're aware of it. But So what you do, you get to that point where you're aware of what you're like now as a really exhausted yeah. type person. Yeah. So you can sort of aim off and prepare for it and be find a way through it. And that's what it's all about, you know, getting you down to that, you know. So it's sleep deprivation, it's it's food deprivation. Because some people, you know, if they ain't fed, like my wife, if she, if she don't get her food, I'm dead. She goes mental, you know, and people get angry yeah. over different things. And it's okay. It's that doesn't mean to say you'd fail because you ain't that you just you're aware of it we know how you're going to react and we know how you can improve on it by doing certain things. So we'll work on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, and the, the, the thing is, it's knocking down those bullshit barriers that we all have bluffs, yeah. you know, we've, we've all got a story. We've all got something we care a lot about. We don't want to talk about or whatever it is. It's about releasing that. you know, and once you've released that, it's like the world off his shoulders. You know, yeah. hell. Why I just do that earlier? Yeah.
2: And
1: now yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm open again now. I can breathe again. I'm, I'm, re- I'm it's good to go. And it, it, we get people to that stage, you know. And we've had some dark moments on that show. Yeah. We had the, the one in Chile was bloody hell. Everybody had a an horrendous story. I felt like at the end of it, I was some sort of fucking psychiatrist. Yeah. I was, I walked out there with PTSD. I think He was just like, I don't want to listen to any more of this. I don't know any more of these, what to say about this. But everybody's got a story. And it's, if you can get, that out and get it off your shoulders, that what's holding your back, you know, it's the shackles are off and you're sprinting again
2: mm-hmm. and you
1: really are. And, and everybody's got it. We all have, we've all got something, you know, like you say, you, you'd probably like to be pushed to that limit to find out, but it's a brutal way to get there because we ain't got a lot of time. we've got to be very honest. We've got to be, and you have got to make you feel uncomfortable. Because yeah. that's what you got to be. You will be uncomfortable. And, and it's going to be hard. It's never going to be easy. And we're at them, bang, 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 to get them to that stage. But it's not to break anybody. That's not what it's about at all. No. You know, we're sorry. When we, we do SAS selection, we have 280-odd people attend. We would love 280 people to get through it. It's never going to happen. You know, the, the average is about seven, five to seven people yeah. at the end of it, of course. But we'd love everybody to get through it. It just... If you ain't made for it, you know, you just ain't made for it. Goes right. back to school. You know, the kid sat next to me, loved his McDonald's every day. He was never going to be a fucking sprinter. But I'll tell you what, it's probably a lot smarter than me and ma- earning a lot more money in an easier way. Mm. But that was it. He's that sort of person. I was this sort of person. So, and we're looking for those people. And again, with the SAS, we're not looking for everybody to be super fit. You know,
0: no, people have to have strength them.
1: anyway, don't they? Yeah, exactly. So you go, where would this, would this person fit in? I don't fit into sitting in a car all day, watching people or watching idling in the Bush all day. I, ain't, I fucking can't sit still for more than two minutes. Mm. But the guy next to me on selection, he's a, we know who he is. We know who he's about. We know he's, he could do that. I'm one of these who wants to come through the window and the door and fucking get this job done. Mm. So there's a place for me. There's a place for everybody. It's just finding where that is. And, and we can't find where that place is for you to we know who you are. So, you know,
0: you touched on um, that before you were 16. You'd faced death. Mm. Can you? Sorry to bring it right down, but can you? Are you able to talk about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, two two incidents. I mean, I ended up in a a fire. There was a lot of gang sort of warfare around my uh, estate, and and it was in the Midlands back then. In the mid seventies to early eighties. It was, you know, and it wasn't racial at all. It was just area, to be honest. You know, a lot of my colored friends, we were all in one gang together, all this sort of stuff. And I ended up, long story, I ended up in a, in a fight with uh, a couple of brothers. And I was on a railway embankment and I had the, it was twin brothers. So I had the one brother sort of, who was older than me, sort of down between my legs and I was about to kick him in the face. And his brother behind me had a knife and just stuck it straight in my back. And as it went in, I felt it felt like I'd been hit by a train, you know. It wasn't like it was like a foot, I was like, took my breath away. I knew something bad had happened, and I, I kind of sort of froze. And then the, the, the guy who went down between my legs grabbed my legs and pulled me. And as he pulled me, my legs were under me, the knife went all the way up my back now, which was lucky really because he was he was in deep, and then it went all the way up my back. And yeah, I nearly fled to death and I crawled back home. and and I remember, I could, I could still almost have a vision of me crawling back to the house, bleeding all over the place, you know? And it was like, he went from a, a, that moment, you know, when you get kicked, and like for the bloke kicks in the balls, you get that oh, feeling, you can't get your breath. It was like that as I was crawling. And then all of a sudden it was like, nice, it was peaceful. It was like weird. It was like, but as I was crawling and thinking about it, I was saying to myself, I've got to leave if I get through this, please. If I get through this, I've got to change my life. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get away from this. And that really was a solid moment in my head where I went, I've got to fucking get away from this lifestyle. And this is, I ain't gonna make it else. And I got to the house ended up in hospital and getting dealt with and all that sort of stuff. And then when I recovered, you know, I still then, I went, right, where do I need to go? I've got to try even harder. I've got to get into the army. But then so that was one moment, and then the next moment was about five months later or four months later. I got a job. I was working nights on a, in a factory illegally, um, and it was electroplating. Electroplating is where you turn metal, rusty metal into silver metal, you know, chrome or zinc or whatever it was. So we involved um, caustic soda, it involved it involved uh, sulfuric acid, all these chemicals. And if you looked, you know, think about it now, geez, it never survived today with elephant safety. It was horrendous. Mm -hmm. But I was working a twelve-hour shift overnight. I was earning eighty pounds a week, which was more than my mom was earning. You know, cash, pay cash. And I was working with all these men, and I was working on this crane thing that used to pick, pick the work up and put into the sulfuric acid, pick it back up into the caustic soda. Over a period of time, then into the water, then into the zinc. To- so, back. I learned- <clears throat> yeah. so I learned this. Yeah, I bought this anyway. I had, a, I had a bit of an accident with the crane over the caustic soda. So I climb up on it like after midnight, or so I climb up onto the onto the the, the, the the vat, which is like a you know like a divided swimming pool, six foot deep. I climb up and I'm trying to get this thing out the out the uh, caustic soda, and I slipped. And as I slipped, I remember that I was in the in the factory and there was no one else in there. I didn't see anybody else in there. There was only two other guys working in it. Anyway, one was at the loo and one was on his break. And as I slipped, my feet went into the car, and six foot deep by the way, as I slipped into it, the pain, I couldn't even describe it, It was so painful. And I only got as far as just below my knees before somehow I just sort of backflipped. You know, threw myself backwards. And I was, I, as I came over the top of the vat, the guy grabbed me, somebody there, grabbed me, Carl, a guy called Carl, grabbed me and ran me to the taps, turned the taps on. And basically, as the water ran down, I pulled all my trousers off and stuff, the water ran down below my knees, the skin just dropped off. And I'm like, looking at my legs, like, like peeling down to almost like a skeleton of veins and muscles and shit hanging out. I was like, what the hell? It was so painful. And... I ended up taking me to hospital went on the way to hospital. I had to lie that I'd broken into the factory because obviously everybody had got fired, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I did. So the police turned, turned there's nothing ever came of it because I said I'd broken in and went to the factory. says, so, yeah, this kid had broken in and they didn't want to press charge anyway without getting anybody in trouble. So that's what happened. So I ended up with my legs, um, totally bandaged and every day I had to go and keep getting them diluted because they it kept burning for days after and
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah but it, had I had I not fell backwards jumped backwards I, I wouldn't be talking to you now I would just dissolved and so, I, yeah there were two moments in that year and then I was like
0: serious scarring from both things
1: no no actually not I mean you can see it but it's just it's you know it, it you can see it it's all like peppered and stuff but well, they yield really well. Then I was able to get into the army about eight months later. But then from there on, every two weeks, I had to go across to the careers office in Wolverhampton and get medically checked. I had to put weight on, stay out of trouble. I was waiting for my criminal record to finish, which it did at the age of 16. But it delayed me getting in as a 16-year-old. I had to then go in as a 17-year-old. So, yeah. I um...
0: Then into the army. And the it's funny because I I interviewed Glenn McCrory boxer
2: recently. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And um, he was saying because he went through a lot of shit as well when he was a child, and mm-hmm. said that basically he was either going to end up dead or was going to end up killing someone, and that's why he, how he ended up into boxing because that you know that was what mm-hmm. he, was, he was like it's either that or the army, but something had to change, and. He said that, you know, not everyone around me was making that sort of decision, but I had to do something that changed. And I, mm. and I think he had that sort of moment like you had where you went something, I've got to get myself out of this. Like not not everyone around you would have done the same. Lots of people probably would have carried on that path and and ended up wherever, or it would still be there now, yeah. you know, but you know, you obviously were one of those people who also said, I have to get myself out of this situation and into something else. Otherwise I'm going to end up dead or yeah killing someone
1: yeah which is funny enough because when I started writing my book it was great because I was catching up on all the memories all the stories and going back and we went back to where I lived oh. me and the ghostwriter we went down I showed him the pub where the old guy took me to teach me boxing then I went back to my street and as we drove back down that street there was some a gang of dudes all hanging out big black guys with dreadlocks and the kind of they know everybody in that area and as we drove down Connor and my ghostwriter, you know are these all right and I went Seymour, I don't know, with the clock to us. So we turned around, I I'm going to drive out. But as I went to drive out, I had Billingham. We stopped the car and jumped out. He was one of my schoolmates. He's now a big old raster and, you know, and he goes, and he goes, we, we're so proud of you. It was really sweet. He goes, you're doing well. You did the right thing, man. And he goes, remember you had the fight with Kelvin and his brother? And I went, yeah. I goes, how are they now? And he goes, they're dead. No. Because one was shot, one was shot dead, and they were stabbed to death. I went, Fuck, you know, you know, there's a good reason to leave this area. <laughs> but he, going back to that, you know, so you've f- the thing is though, I knew, you know, although I was a bad kid, I knew I was doing wrong. I knew what I was doing, and when people say, "Oh yeah," you know, and the mother will always say this too: he got him with the wrong crowd.
2: Uh... It's a-
1: I was the fucking wrong crowd.
0: Exactly. And, and the fact that you're where you are now shows that you were probably the sharpest in your crowd as well. And normally they're the most mischievous.
1: Yeah. And it's always the middle <laughs> child for some reason. <laughs> oh, <nearly laughs> all. And, um, yeah, so um, I, I think the point is, you know, I know I had to get out there. I knew I had to get away from this. And I think every child does. But then you've got to do something about it. You yeah. can't sit in a pity party. You can't be, You won't be led by the end. You've got to do something about it. And two things are, one, it ain't going to be easy, you know, and two, it is down to you. You have to do it. And you can listen to whoever you want. People can tell you what you want. And it's good to have advice, of course, but you have got to do it. you physically got to get off your ass and make a change and make a difference and accept it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. Just keep going. Don't give up. You know, so...
0: You started in cadets, yeah, and then was it the Paras straight after cadets?
1: Yeah, I I joined the cadets around about uh, eleven and a half, I think. I, I just I'd been boxing. I was doing. Uh, then I joined the cadets, and again, all the cadets did to me was confirm this is where I want to be. I loved it. It was it was you know a miniature army, and yeah. we were treated like. Like soldiers we'll do. The guy running it was a guy called Matt Gaunt, and he had two kids in there, and his wife helped run it as well. They were amazing people, amazing people. You know, they helped so many kids in the Midlands where I was to keep them out of the trouble, um, get them into jobs, a lot into the military. And he was just brilliant, but he was an old bullshit guy. You stepped out of line, you get a cliff, you will get slapped around the head or around the legs. And you, you know, he would, but he had he oh, good discipline. It's what we needed, and it worked. And uh, yeah, so I joined the cadets and the thing was, with the cadets for me at this time, uh, this is where my, because I weren't going to school anyway, half the time I was sort of skiving it or doing whatever I was doing getting in trouble or got suspended. I kind of gravitated and thought what I was being taught in cadets all made sense to me, you know, how to read a map, how to navigate, how to do first aid to save someone's life how to use a weapon, how to do this, How to do that. that made sense. Mm-hmm. And in my school, you know, I was learning how to cross yeah. the T's, dot the I's, and I like, where's this fucking fit into my life? I don't get it. Yeah. So my schooling suffered even more. I went, this is where I'm going. And I did, so I dropped out of school, I did this. Now, as I got older, I realized that wasn't the right thing to do. I should have done both. I should have done my schooling and done the cadets and put both together, but that's what I did. So I had to catch up my schooling days early days in the army. So after the cadets, I, um, I was in the Marine cadets, and I, I, you know, I got to that stage. I didn't know, where, where, I knew I was going in the army, uh, in the military. I didn't know which one to go to. And it was just after the Falklands war and I had all these guys come down and I listened to all their stories and I thought, I want to go to the parachute regiment. That's where I want to go. And that's, when I went, that's where I'm going. So that's what I did. So in 1983, I joined the uh, parachute regiment.
0: And how long were you there for?
1: I was there for nine years altogether. Um, I joined, so by the time I finished training, it was early 94 and I flew straight from UK to Belize, Central America, never knew, even knew it existed. I had no idea. No, no. I always talk about this. I was talking, oh, I remember being dead exciting. Oh, I'm going to the third battalion because there's three battalions. So when you was seven of us originals have passed down. I went to three, a couple of us went to three para, some went to two para, some went to one para. So all I was interesting, where's one para? Where are they in the world? And they went, Oh, they in uh, Belize, Central America? Central America. You know, 16, I had no idea of geography. No, I never been out of Walsall really. And now first time I'm on a plane, I'm getting thrown out the door with a parachute on my back. So, and then I'm going to this new country. I've never been out of UK or, or, Warsaw, and I was like wow I'm going and I remember in Central America I thought Central America beaches, sea, beer, chicks it's fucking awesome I remember I'm going to Central America she goes oh great where? Belize it's going to be beaches versus (laughs) jungle, clown and I was like oh (laughs) so I ended up in the jungle for six months but it was great and I loved it I spent nine years
0: And um, I mean, Belize is pretty, I imagine it was pretty, pretty rough, pretty, pretty
1: hard. Yeah, it, it was, yeah. They had a lot of issues. There was still a bit of a skirmishing going on between Guatemala and Belize, and, you know, a bit of attacking each other in the jungle stuff. So we we're out there to pro- show a resistance and a bit of strength and living in the jungle, you know, and the jungle's an hard place to live in. And it was, yeah, it was tough, but it was great. And I loved it.
0: And I mean, yeah, the elements in the jungle are are hardcore enough without the rest of it going on.
1: Yeah. People don't realise how claustrophobic it is. No. And and the noise because of all yeah. the creatures and the animals. You're know, like, whoa, it's deafening until you sort of you know, accumulate to it and you just go, you know what, actually, yeah. It becomes tranquil then after, but it takes a while. Then you're sweating all the time. You've got creatures crawling over you. It's, it's an unpleasant place, but I it's my favourite place now. I love it. Once I got through that, I just loved it. So I spent nine years with the parachute regiment. And after joining them there in Belize, I started to climb the ranks, you know, and um, I ended up uh, we, on a northern, we did operational tours in Cyprus, believe it or not, and in Northern Ireland. So we lost a few people in Northern Ireland. So it was all very real then. I'd now grown from this kid from Walsall into a real man thinking I'm in a real men's world. Now this is, you know, our adults world, I should say it's, this is real people die on decisions that we get wrong. And, and you know, we do great things. We change policies, we help people, we do it. And it was brilliant. So it was. To what extent?
0: I know, um, I know that you lost a good friend, Benny, that you touched, yeah. you mentioned a lot in your book. Um, To what extent what you'd gone through as a child and seen and experienced, I mean, it was, it was, to what extent did that prepare you or help you?
1: It it, it did, you know, dealing with, you know, violence, death, that sort of thing. You kind of grew up to it. It was happening. People were getting stabbed. People were getting killed and fighting. So you kind of. But it kind of seemed all right because everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's out there being the troublemaker, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And when you see a good guy Mm -hmm. who's, you realize he's there, all he wants to do is help people, do the right thing, and then not to have his life taken by being shot. Like, he he just knocked the shit out of me from fucking hell. This is real. This is is how it is. You know, if it can happen to him, and he was an old veteran, experienced, real good guy it can happen to him, it can happen to any of us. And that's the truth, he could. So it was a wake-up moment for me. And I say prepared for it. It's, it's weird because, you know, the, the people go, oh, yeah, but in the army, you're prepared. You, you're trained to kill and trained to go to war. You, you're trained, but you, no one's trained to go to war. It's Fucking war's never the same. It's different. It's horrible. It's horrendous. You can't train for that crap. You know, it's awful. So you, you're trained to deal with our circumstances, but war is... Horrible. So he kind of growing up in the Midlands, it it was it toughened me. I I took it on the chin. It didn't mean I, you know, I didn't get upset by it or think about it because I did. And but then you get on, you go, you know what? To me, I thought, well, he was a good guy. He was doing good things. He was trying to do his best. He went out the way he he would have wanted to go out. So that's the way I looked at it. So Warsaw did growing up did on my shoulder did prepare me for it you know because a lot of people could have just gone oh, I can't deal with this I'm yeah. in my mouth yeah I never I when it, it gave me even more strength to stay and do the right thing you know stay and help and get on with it
0: yeah that's I mean that's was going to be my next question you know did, did it did experiences like that ever make you go do you know what this is just too much
1: no you know it's always the worst times if anybody wants to talk this it, it's, it's always people getting killed but it's actually not people getting killed it's it's the after bit, mm. you know, you signed up to the possibilities you could get killed. You're going, be in, you're going to be in situations where it's going to be really dangerous and there's a great possibility. Some of us ain't coming back. That's fact. That's how it was. It, it, and that's how it is. Mm. You kind of get used to it. You lose a good mate next to you and you think, oh, goodness. it's sad. And you, but you go, you know what? Let's go. Let's get up and go again. Let's go down and do it for him or for her or whatever it is. Let's move on. Let's move on now. It's what has happened. Where it really hits you and hurts you, and you think about it a lot, is if you're coming back to someone's funeral. So he died with you, it happened. Got it. We, we, for his sake, I said, we move on. But then you come, you have that solemn moment of coming home to put him to rest. And when you stood there at the grave and you look and you think, you see his wife there and the kids or his girlfriend or whatever, and you think, fucking oh, is this worth it? Is yeah. it really worth it? But I I'll, always I'll say yes, to me it was, because what I, we were doing out there was yeah. changing for the greater good, for the yeah. greater numbers. It wasn't yeah. a individual thing, you know? So as hard and sad as it was, and the fact that I could be next in there and that could be my kids and whatever, He just thought, I've chosen, I want to do it. Yeah. It's my f- profession, I want to do this. And it, it just drove me more to keep going and keep doing as much as you can.
0: Yeah. And, and like
1: you say, for the greater good as well, because thank God there are people like you who do it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no shortage of people doing it. You know, and we're, you know oh, your job is great what you do, thank you. But, I mean, we can't do our job without your job without our family supporting us and allowing us to do it. So, and I chose this job. You know, I got paid for it. I got paid to go to do my job, like we all do. Yeah, it's, it's hostile, it's, but I knew that. I signed up to that. Yeah. So, oh, you're a hero. You're—we're not heroes. We just—we do our fucking job, and it's—it's a it's chosen profession we had, you know.
0: That was so. still Paris, was it? Yeah, that still yeah. wasn't even SAS. So, then, when how did the door open for you choosing to step up to the SAS? I,
1: I, I you know, as when you join the military, like you, you want to climb for the ranks, you want to get all these experiences, you want to do all the travel. So in nine years, I've done a hell of a lot. I've been in conflict twice, I'd, you know, or, you know, yeah, been in conflict twice. I've been, I've traveled quarter of the world already. I've done all this. i would had responsibility now. And I was climbing I thought, What could be the next level to this? What, what comes next? What's higher than this? And then the SAS, of course. If, uh, the SAS is as high as you can go in terms of, because they work at strategic level, you know it's the same sort of soldiers, it's just the, the, the work and the, the stuff they do is different. Although I didn't know exactly what they do because nobody really does until you get there. So I thought, but I had a lot of friends leave before me, gone there, I'd meet them every now and again, every couple of years and they'd talk about amazing stuff and oh, that's where I've got to go. So after my time of being in the Parachute regiment, I started in, as a recruit. And then I ended up back as a trainer, training the recruits. It was at that moment when I was down there for two years, training these recruits, gone full circle, if you like. I thought I've got to move on. I want to try somewhere else, and that's what I did. So uh, in ninety two, one of 90, January ninety two, I went for a SAS selection, and yeah, that was it.
0: How long is jo- the selection for? Six months.
1: Did you- six months. Yeah, six months. And you know, there was. 200 of us plus that started and seven of us finished.
0: Oh my good God. That's just yeah. insane. And, yeah. and you cover everything, don't you? Because like there's a section, there's like different selection sections, I guess. And then, you know, like yeah. on SAS, for example, the final bit with the, the sort of the mental side, that is what happens, isn't it? So presumably when you get to the mental side, there's only a handful of you left.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is. You go, you go through all that process, you know, you, you start off with the big numbers and the big numbers, the, what they've got to do is whittle it down to manageable chunks of people who really needs to be there. Mm. So, you know, the first thing is very physical. You're marching every single day for over a month, you know, 20, 20 miles a day, 25, 30 miles a day, We're carrying a house on your back and it's over and up and down mountains and, and you're navigating. So it's difficult, really difficult. And you lose a lot of people on that. I think on day two, day two, they do a thing called the, the fan dance where you, you do a speed march over the top of the penny fan in Wales. It's about 24, 20-something 20 plus miles or, or kilometres. And it's a speed march. And on, I think on that day, we lost 80 people. Eight zero people failed. Gone. It's There's no, oh, shall we, shall we not? There's no ums and it's ease the line. You're, on, you're there on that line at the time. If not, done. Gone. And
0: what so, is if in that particular moment, then that makes you carry on and them not able to?
1: Mind believing in yourself, believe you can do it. And, and also, you've got to want to do it. You know, you've got to want to, be, you can't go into something like that half hearted and oh, we'll see how it goes sketch.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: because you won't be there long if you do. You've got to go there and go, I want this, I want to be there. It's going to be hard. I've just got to keep going. Just not give up and give the best I've got. Your best is your best, but you've got to give that 100%. You know, but on something like that where there is a timeline and distance and stuff, just because you give your best, you give 100%, you're not going to pass. You have to pass at what they want. But with you giving 100%, if you know what I mean. So it's just, you know, I remember each morning just getting them going, right? The only way I'm going to not do this is if they tell me I can't do it because I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. I can't do it. And you've got to have that that strong mindset. Because although you you know your knees are swollen, your back's killing you, you've got blisters, and you, you've already had any sleep, you just your mind will get you through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Focus. Focus on it. Is it worth it? Do you want to do it? Is this what I really want? Yeah, it is. Let's go and go for it. And you soon get through it.
0: And is there any so I mean I can only liken <laughs> liken this. I climbed Mount Kinabalu and that's a uh you know up down but parts of it are, are hardcore in my world hardcore anyway and um I the way that I did that I, I could I if I hadn't seen it as I'm gonna climb however many thousands of kilometers it is I can't remember um, I had to do it in checkpoints and that was yeah. how, you know like that's how I would mm. mentally be able to cope with it and I and I'm so competitive as well so I would I would always want to beat <laughs> whoever it was that was in my eye line, you know. And 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 people were whittling, you know. I think of the of the eighty people that did the final summit climb. I think there were only thirty or twenty eight people that actually got to the very top. And that that hearing that number alone the night before, when people were like, you know, less than half of you will get to the top, that was enough for me to go. I'm so going to be that person, and I'm going to try and get there first. <laughs> And and that for me was my was my motivation.
1: Exactly. And we're the same sort of people. And I think it's those sort of people like us that who do succeed in stuff like that because I thrive and grow confidence in somebody else's failure there. Not yeah, you know, screw in them. It's just I could. It made me, even more of a boost. He's like, when I go and jump back a bit, when I joined the Parachute Regiment, I stood on this square, right? I knew I had to get out of Walsall and so I knew I had to change my life. I stood on a square with seventy-seven zero 0 over people and looked down the line, and there was blokes with moustaches, big area chest, tattoos. And I was looking down, going, What the fuck have I done? I was a skinny little kid at the end who weighed about eight stone, thinking, I'm out my league. What have I done? But I ain't going to give up, but this, I ain't going to make this. By day three, quarter of them are gone. All the most of the big, and, and I'm still there. And I just built with a thought: I'm going to be, I'm going to, and just like you just said, I'm going to be at the end. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And It does. He, somebody else is, you know, dropping by the way. So it just gives me more strength and more courage and more confidence to here we go. Let's do it. This. Yeah. So and I know exactly
0: why. You know, I really want to do Everest, but I and I know that most everest is possibly an you know an extreme version of but like with Kinabalu you can get to base camp. Well, I never understood the reason of climbing it and people saying oh I only want to get to base camp what's the point in that? <laughs> why not go to the top or why not aim to go to the top like I don't get it Why not try and do the summit if you can't fine you know and accept that but if you what's the point in just going to
1: you know what they, I, I would say about that is that that's because they're scared to commit. The are fr- and the failure of going, they probably think I, I could get to base camp, but then once again they feel like oh, I did that quite. I'll, I'll go for the top now. Yeah. They reach their goal and everybody yeah. else. Oh, yeah. that was great. You did what you were going to say. Do rather than go. Okay, I'm going to do Mount Everest. Yeah. But not getting all the way, but getting to base camp. And then they can't really turn around and go. Well, I got to base camp. They go. Oh yeah, you. Got to base camp, yeah. but you said you are going to do mountain Yeah, 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 that's now, true. I'd, I'd quite easily take that on. and go, yeah, I did, but I didn't do it. But I got three quarters away or wherever I did. But a lot of people will go, oh no, yeah, because why wouldn't you say I want to get to the top?
2: It's yeah. really the
1: do. They just don't want to commit to it. and They're just frightened of that failure of not doing it. But they're probably no, they definitely do base camp. I'll get to base camp. Yeah, but then if they fail base camp, then they're, then they're back to where they started anyway. So. but yeah I think that's what it's just like a commitment and and drive and and just setting a goal just set the goals beyond Mm. what you think you can go but you'll be surprised but you know right from the start as we said and just go for it people are scared to say it
0: yeah definitely
1: Mm.
0: when you um so after through your SAS selection process when you get or after that initial bit, then what happens? Do you have a jungle section? And...
1: Yeah, you do, you do the physical side there. Then you go to the jungle with smaller numbers. And that is really, that's what I call selection. That is the real SAS selection. Mm. There's, there's so many people doing the first phase as a director. So you ain't got time to look at everybody. You really haven't. Let them whittle yeah. down. Why don't they, the they come to the jungle? That's when you, you get, as a DS, you get a bunch of them, eight of them each or whatever's left. And then you get to look at them see what they're really like how they act each day how they interact with them you they half the time they don't even know you're watching them because the jungle as you know is just you can step one step out of the way and you'll lose people forever it's because of it's all foliage and covered and stuff and dense so you would sit and watch each moment what they're doing you know you brief what you wanted to do they've all got a skill set they have to produce you know they're going to be able to navigate going to be able to patrol they've got to do whatever they're going to do. So they've got all that in their head. They're thinking about all that. They're moving through this terrain that is horrendous. It's like being in a sauna with a house on your back, you know, as high as it can go and be smacked in the face every two minutes and creatures all over it. So they've got all that added pressure and all the rest of it. So this is really selection. You get to really see who the people are, the ones who, when they're tired, throw their hands around and push people around the ones who, when they know I'm there as a director and stuff, or the, the, they're the ones that oh, do you need a help, mate? Can I help you with it? Let's do. It. But as soon as you're out of the way, they're like, "Fuck you, get on with it," you know. So you get to see everything, and over that period of, now people can hide that for a short period of time. You can't hide that for four or five weeks in the jungle. You can't. It's just impossible. So eventually, you'll break down to who you really are. You will peel back to who you really are, and that's normally about midway through. And then that's when we really start to look into Bill. Go okay, see where he's okay. Let me give him add a little bit more to where he thinks he's really weak. See where we go with this and then push him a little bit more. And then, then you start to really develop that person. So then you do the selection, then you you run the old, then you do the jungle. So that's that phase. And then if you get to the end of that, which not many do, uh, you then go on to the, the phase of escape and evasion as, as we spoke about where you're on the run. And, you know, you go through interrogation and all that sort of stuff right at the very end. And by that stage, there ain't many of you left. You know, there might be eight, nine of you. So that is a course that is open to the whole of the British military. So they fill that course up with people from international as well, from all over the world. And and so you might end up on that course with about 30 people, 30 people in small groups going on the run and being... We're segregated from all them because we are on the real SS selection and but just to fill the course or they'll be on all the lessons all that and away you go and it? then whatever's left at the end of that if you pass that like, then you go into you know a little bit of proper SS training you know in all the black kit and all that sort of stuff and the counter-terrorist stuff just as an insight before you finally finish.
0: And then do they then from because you presumably you don't then all go off and do the same role in the SAS, I guess, then you then you are individual.
1: Yeah, you break down. The, you, 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 well, we have, you know, you go to different squadrons. We have four different squadrons. You all do the same stuff, mm. but you go to four. You could go just like when I first passed out, I went to the third battalion or you could go to the second. You, go, you can go to A squadron, B squadron, D squadron or G squadron. So it doesn't matter. You go to A squadron and then within the squadrons, broke down into four groups as well and one will specialize in the air coming from the sky parachuting and all that sort of stuff one will specialize coming over the sea or under the sea one will specialize for going over the mountains and the ground one will specialize going through the desert so there's those four groups and you choose which one you want to go to what you prefer to do and as long as there's a spot in there a vacancy in there, then you'll go there if not they'll put you where you need needed so you end up going there and then you lend learn that skill then, you go like, so for instance, I went to mountain troop. So then at the earliest opportunity, if we weren't off fighting conflicts or doing whatever we did to send you away to be trained again um, on that skill. So you spend 10 weeks in the Alps, in the mountains, climbing and doing all the skill sets you need to be doing for that. And then you come back. So you then all of you are fully trained on that sort of stuff. Then, then after that, you'll do a medical course as I talked about earlier. You'll do a demolitions course, you do a language course, you'll do whatever's relevant to going on in the world that the need is to be doing. And then you're <laughs> away around the globe. Hmm?
0: Sorry. What's the hardest thing that you think you faced when you are in the SAS?
1: The hardest. Um, I think mentally the the hardest was was learning a language. You know, bearing in mind I'd left school and uh, no, no qualifications, no nothing. And then I'd got sent down to learn a a language for solidly for 14 weeks you know every day bang 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 eight ten hours a day of learning this language and uh, yeah that was hard for me I had to spend the first two weeks learning English grammar because I didn't know it all so I had to go back and then do it all again you know so that that was hard for me I really had to put everything into it
0: isn't that mad that you go through all of that in the SAS and then the thing that you that you that you answer with is is language learning because that was so out of your skill set.
1: Everything else, you know, was, you know, lots and lots of things were dangerous and difficult and you never knew if you're gonna come back from it and that sort of thing. I think everybody expects you to say that. But what was really hard that didn't bother me because if it happens, it happens. Yeah. You know it's the way it is. You just yeah. get it, going back to somebody being killed, is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. It is worth it. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna keep doing it. So to a degree you're in the hands of the Gods, you know, you get on. You you got your training, you got your skill. You need a bit of luck, and what will be will be. And so it was hard. It was tough. It was horrendous sometimes. And a lot of the times you thought, well, how the fuck are we ever going to get out of this?" But we did. And I have. So, but when I think about what I, was hard, that was hard for me learning that language. Like, geez Can you still speak now? What what language was it? It was. Uh, Serbo Croat, which is a former Yugoslavian, which is a oh, um <laughs> yeah, yeah, vojnik. I oh,
2: mean
1: some of them say Bill. It, it just, I, I was a British soldier. Right. Uh, you had to learn learn a language, and that was my language I had to learn, you know, typical, never ever use it again. But no, there exactly. you go. Exactly. So how are you, do, if you go to Croatia or anywhere like that, then it's great or Dubrovnik. It's still nice to be able to speak a bit of language, yeah. I I haven't obviously, it's not one of those languages like Spanish, maybe or Arabic, or you can talk speak to somebody every day about it. It's very rarely you get a chance to speak, so it's kind of faded,
0: yeah. Of course,
1: but yeah, it was was, was difficult.
0: How did you go from that? Did did the bodyguarding come after the SAS,
1: yeah? So I'd done all this time in the SES, you know, I went to, done all these conflicts, been all around the globe, did all these unbelievably ridiculous things for years and years and years. Managed to keep my name off the clock, which means I stayed alive.
2: Yeah.
1: And and then it was, you know, by this time I'd done, I think 20, I always say 27, 28 years. Yeah, about 27 years. And I'd done all the stuff I needed to do. And then I I was sent out to the jungle school out in uh, Brunei. I was a sergeant major out there running that international, which is great. I always loved the jungle. and But at the end of that phase, I thought, what do I want to do next? And I got posting back to London. And I thought it was going to be great. And then I just thought, you know, uh, I'm, I need to move on now. You know, I'm No more going to be jumping through windows. I'm not going to be doing this. And there is a time to move on. So I started to feel I needed to, to get out of it. And it weren't the best job in the world that I was promised it would be. I started to rub people up the wrong way or people rubbing me up the wrong way. And I thought, I can see where this is going to go. I'm going to end up losing everything if I don't change my ways. And I thought, time to go. And I got a call from a friend literally around the same time to say, hey, would you be interested in doing this uh, bodyguarding job? I'd already done some sort of moonlighting on my time off in the regiment. Not that I had a lot much of it, but I did, you know, looked after a few people. Uh, Slabs here and there stuff. I thought, oh, yeah, it's easy. <laughs> it's not difficult. I wouldn't mind doing it. to change of pace, change of life. Pays a hell of a lot better. Blah blah. And uh, yeah, so just as I was about to step out, I got a call and said, "Hey, you know, we're looking for somebody to help us out to look after Angelina Jolie's kids." So that's what that was it. I went, "Oh yeah, okay, let's do that." So I did. Was she nice? Yeah, she was great. Everybody i have worked with has been brilliant, you know, just like we're talking now, just down to earth, nice people mm. just want to have a normal life. And that was my job to give them a chance to have a normal life, stop people, you know, poking into their business and that sort of stuff. You know, it was enough, it was a big step back from what I was used to. There's
2: mm.
1: not everybody out there trying to kill them and blow them up and shoot them, that sort of stuff. So it was kind of easy. The only shooting yeah. that was being done there was camera. So it was just allowing them to have some privacy and enjoy their life like we do, you know? So it was good, but it was hard work. You know, I, I didn't anticipate how hard it would be. I was working 18, 19 hours a day, every day. Oh. You know, Cause they work hard, they do 12 hours generally on set or around about, it can be that time. And then they then got time with the kids, time with the family, time to do their other stuff, the charities. And by the time they're finishing on a bed, I've still got at least an hour or two hours on top of that work to do ready for the next day. So everything's have been set up and good to go.
0: Yeah. Challenging in a very
1: yeah. different way then. Yeah, it was. It was, again, more mental and organising and planning, that sort of stuff. And yeah, and being real and being
2: mm-hmm. down to
1: earth and making things normal for them. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge, it was, it was a big challenge. But was it
0: that, then that world that got you into the film world, got you into the acting?
1: Yeah, it did. It was, um, you know, so my job was this side of the camera, protecting the people that are on the camera, doing all this sort of stuff. So I, get to, I got to know a lot of people and how it all kind of works and all that sort of stuff. And then I got approached um, by a company called Ricochet, which did stuff for, I don't know if they still around, I think they probably are, to do a, a programme about, similar to what we're doing now, but on a smaller scale, it's called Unbreakable. It was eight UK people, uh, two women, six men. It was so fit; that they're, they're ex-athletes, boxers, this fit, you know, whatever the worst Triathletes, and the idea was to break them. But it was called unbreakable because they're so tough, so fit, mentally and physically. You wouldn't break them. And you, they asked me. I got somebody got in contact with me and said, "Would you?" We know you've done a lot of time in the military. Would you take these guys to the jungle and for four days try and break them? And I I didn't want to do it. I kept turning it down. I wasn't interested. Eventually, they taught me into doing it. So I said, yeah, but I'll break them in half a day. And I did. Or could have done. Well, I did a bit. Because not because they weren't good people. They were great people. It was just that environment was just unforgiving. And the producers didn't listen to me. I said, you don't understand. And they thought they did understand, but they didn't. No. So we went and did this program and approved it. You know, we'd nearly broke them all in fucking half a day. So we had to back off, slow down, and then start listening to me. So it was kind of not the best experience first time in front of a camera because I thought, you know, you're kind of killing somebody here and this is dangerous. And I didn't feel comfortable. And they were actually very good people, very good. They, they were great, actually, very professional, but they just,
0: just should have listened
1: more to experience, I think. Yeah. So I, I, that was my first
0: Sorry, I was gonna say I would. I would imagine as well. Like, unless there's unless there's someone like you on board, it's quite easy for the the entertainment level of TV to get a little bit carried away, without yeah. understanding the reality of the situation. Because i you know, Unbreakable. Can we break people? Ha ha ha! It's very, uh, you know, almost like Big Brother's aim to just screw people over and stuff. But it's a sort of a dangerous. It's a dangerous yes. step to go down, or route to go down, isn't it? Without someone like you behind it. Yeah,
1: there is, and you know, I, I, I've experienced. I've seen people be get killed in the jungle. You know, SAS people. I'm not talking non-operational. You know, training as well. It, it's fucking dangerous, and it's it's hard. It's not. You can't just. You have to acclimatise to that environment. You know, you can't just step in there and start running around like you would do in the UK because you die, and you do, people do die. I explain this, but oh no, no, you don't understand. I was no, you don't understand. Anyway, long story short, I ended up showing I was right and we ended up changing it. So it worked out in the end, but it didn't leave me fairly comfortable about that sort of work. So after that, I was offered a number of other stuff and I said, no, I just backed off it for a while, carried on with, but well, I didn't, I left the bodyguard and I went to do my own security out in Iraq and all that sort of stuff for a while with a business that I had. And, um, and then I got approached again a couple of times and one was to do S.S. Who Dares Wins and the other one was uh, Special Forces Are You Tough Enough, I think it was called something like that, with Freddie Flintoff. And they were both running around at the same time. And I turned down the S.S. one straight away because as soon as I heard SES, I thought SES, it's going to be cheesy, it's going to be crazy, it's going to be stupid. And there'd already been some not-so-good... Sort of programs that had already been made using the word S.E.S. and it was silly. I thought I'd only be part of that. I didn't know enough about it, but I did think about doing the um, the one with Freddie Flintoff because it was more like you know the guy from the S.E.S. putting these group of people through two days of what S.E.S. bit of S.E.S. And Then there's a American Delta Force guy coming to do two days, then a a, a, Spets, a Russian Spetsnaz coming to do two days, and by the end of it they'd say whose training was more relevant and better. Sort I of. thought, well, that's livable, I could do that. But I ended up not doing that. I was meant to do it, i almost signed up to it, but I ended up in hospital with, with malaria for the fourth time. So on the night before the shoot, so I didn't do it. I ended up not doing it and I left it alone. And then later on, I ended up getting taught to do SES Who Dares Wins.
0: Uh-huh. And have you enjoyed that process?
1: Yeah, like I say, initially as soon as those words are mentioned people go, oh, God, what's this bullshit now? what, what a nonsense is going to be coming out of this? this the first show went out and I was asked like I said, to do it and I said no and then by the time the second one came round, the producer, one of the producers kept contacting me saying, we really want you to come on the show, would you come and have a chat anyway, we ended up having a chat and I hadn't seen the first show anyway and they gave me a USB with a episode 1 on or series 1 and the next time I went away on a bodyguarding chance out to Nigeria I think it was again while I was bored I just watched it and I thought actually you know what this is not what I thought it was going to be it's not about us as directors it's about the people I thought I kind of like where it was trying to go and I thought I could add some to this based on my experience and I realized all we were there for was to add authenticity and why are we doing this why we're making men and women fight each other because in the real life of conflict that's what happens nobody cares whether you're a man or war and you know people will kill because they do and it was also about you know why are we making people fight anyway it's about controlled aggression it's about you know when you come up against aggression the only way you are gonna win is just ramp up a little bit higher but stay in control of it don't lose your head and that, that so we had that reasons why we do all these things and i thought yeah i like that and i could add a bit of something to it so it was about the people, not about us. And so then I said, yeah, okay, I'll I'll do it. And I did the second, I joined on the second series out in the jungle, funny old thing, in Ecuador. I, and I really enjoyed it.
0: Are you good pals
1: with the guys? Yeah, yeah, we're all, we're just like, the, like it was just like being back in, to be honest. Yeah. You know, so I met, met the guys and it was just like, we have the, our own little bit of dark banter and humour and take the piss out of each other and this, that, like, the other. But the other good thing about it was... was no script to it you know there is a direction but there's no real script you don't learn lines you don't retake on anything you don't do none of that right it was just being us and being who we are yeah and the only thing that we really rehearsed was anything dangerous they had to do if they had to do a dangerous absent, we do we do it all first and you know get all that done making sure so we we didn't kill anybody so yeah, it was good and it was it was good fun. It's still good fun, you know. But yeah, we're all but just like in the rules, like on the regiment, you know, there's guys you work with all the time. But outside of the work, you very rarely see each other. Yeah, if yeah. you, know, you want to get away from everything and just enjoy what you've got. So that's how we are now, you know. Now and again, we'll meet up, have a beer, or have a laugh, and go to go to a gig or do something. But we're not like in each other's pockets. No, you know, no. So, but it's. Is there a difference
0: between the Joe Public and the celebrity ones?
1: Um, there is a difference. And I think we act differently as well as DS. And you don't really realize you are, but you kind of, I there don't know. Be something um, you
0: have preconceived ideas about with the celebrity ones. It must be hard not to be like, oh, here we go.
1: <laughs> Some <laughs> yeah. of them, you know? We, we don't get to know who the people are anyway till the day they turn up. So right. it doesn't matter to me who they are. And, and generally, a lot of the, the people that have been on celebrities, I don't know them anyway. Oh, so I know. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV and I don't like to, like, like watch a lot sure. of sports. No, <laughs> I don't know who they are. But then actually, I look at it and I think it, it works both ways because we kind of feel we are a little bit rawer and a bit tougher and more aggressive with the, the civilian version we're a little bit more respectful of who they are because they've made a name for themselves and they're doing good things and all, all or oh, presumably they are. Yeah. But but it's actually harder for them in many ways because you've got to remember they're putting themselves on a real
2: yeah. pedestal.
1: You know they can look complete fools, they've got a massive following generally most of them and they're, they're known for this and they're known for that and they're even gonna look, oh actually people see a different side to them. Mm. You know. We get deep into their souls as well, just like we do everybody else. They don't get treated any different. No. Nah. We get into them, we break them down to, appeal you know, them back to who they really are. And they've got what is good about it is you, they, you know, we realize the public then realize, you know, they're no different to us. No. Nah. They've got the same issues financial issues, relationship issues, personal other things going on in their life, just like everybody else. So I think it's a good thing, but for them to expose it and be. You know, pushed to where they get pushed. It's a ballsy call, so I, I take my hat off to them. Nothing good on them. It's a brave. It's easy to sit on the couch and go, "What's she doing on there?" She's, doing it. but you know what? She's ballsy enough to go. I'm going to have a go, and it's generally for the right reasons. So, have anyone
0: really surprised you?
1: Yeah, there's always a surprise there. You know, you, you know, it'll be the one who you think he, she's going to do really well, and then by day two, they're gone. No, I'm done. Like where did that just come from? And then there's one who looks a little bit oldish, weakish, but yeah. still firing away right up to the end, like you know. Mm. And um, there's some good ones on the next celebrity one coming out. I'm not sure actually when it is coming out. I think it might be around about August, September. Um, there's some good celebrities on that one. Some that I remember from my growing up and stuff, and they do do good. Yeah, Surprise yeah. Surprise them, Yeah, so I won't spoil it, but be ready. It's going to be good.
0: Do you have a, any sort of daily mantras or anything like that that you do? Have you got your own little toolkit that you that you have? You know?
1: I have to do some some sort of fitness every day. I just have to get up and I have to do it first thing in the morning. I can't, like now, I actually haven't done it today other than sort of take the dog out. You know, we want to class like that but with my dog. It's a bit of fitness. So I have to chase a little shit everywhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I like to start my day off with fitness because it just clears my mind, sets me up for the day, makes me feel like I've got a full day ahead of me. You know, so I, know I do that first thing in the morning, and I've got this ritual of no music, no water, no food, get up, get dressed, wash your face, wake up, go. Go and do it, whatever it is. And it's normally about an hour to hour and a half, maybe. And I'll change up each time, endurance or cardio. I break it up. And I don't, I'm, I'm past trying to, you know, people send me messages, how fast do you run a mile? I'm not interested in how fast I run a mile. I run a mile, run it at my pace and what I feel good for for that day. Okay. It makes me feel good. I'm past that now. I'm to all that shit. Yeah. Sprinting over the young ones. But yeah, so my, my day, my mantra is my, my always a little further. That's, and that comes right from back when I was a little kid. The guy who stole the hat from me literally said to me, you know, taught me the, what boxing was about when he said boxing is a, a poor man's game of chess. It's not about your fists. It's about your mind. It's about your feet. It's about anticipation. It's about thinking, being one step ahead, but always going a little bit further. When you feel the chips are down, you can you can do it. And I never forget. And then weirdly, 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 later on when I joined the SAS, part of our, our mantra on that is always a little further. And he was like, "Wow, there's an omens. So that's my, and I carry that everywhere I go. So and just...
0: have the books been cathartic? You know, have you enjoyed writing? Because that's such a different, a different yeah. thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It's it that again. That was a real weird phase and stage, if you like. Because from the moment I more or less left the military and I was doing the bar, people were saying to me, get in touch with ever write a book. You should write a book. You should write by front. I'm not doing that because it's kind of frowned upon in the regiment anyway. And I, so I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that. I don't want to write a book. I wanted to write and then I thought I, want, I wouldn't mind writing my sort of memoirs for my family, and my kids later on to, to read. And then a couple of times I'd be out and i will be having a drink and, I, and you know, my kids would join me and stuff. And we'd be with a bunch of blokes, my mates, I'd be served with him, And we'd tell him all these stories because we'd be drinking and laughing. And i get be getting a lift on and one of my kids would go, Dad, we don't know you. And I'd be like, what? He goes, well we've just been listening to all those stories that we didn't know any of this we didn't know you got caught here we didn't know you did that we didn't know this and i felt bad i felt fucking know and then that's when i said I thought, you know what? i am gonna write my book and when i wrote it anyway the, the first one the autobiography i took out all the ss secret missions because you can't put there and i wouldn't anyway so i just made it about what my life was like where i started as, as you know you have read it so and the little bit of the military stuff that was humorous and real without giving secrets away. So yeah, but I enjoyed, as I was doing it, it it kind of, it was like going through a diary check of my life and remembering things and just, you know, it's like, you pick up a photo and you see it and you just kind of giggle to yourself. Fucking, i remember that moment. That's when so-and-so fell off the bridge or this happened or that happened, you know? So it was good to sit down and jot down where I was at the stage, what I was doing, good points and bad points and dangerous points, you know, I was, well, f- how did I get past that point? That was mental. This point, that point. And so it was nice. It was really, yeah, it was really good to sit down and recalibrate, re kickstart your life again and think about all that stuff and where to where I am now. And now I've just finished my second book, which is a, my first novel thriller. Yeah. It's, I've really enjoyed that. I didn't think I would. I really, I've read, cause it's, again it's what I've done but without giving any secrets away or you know I've just changed places locations stuff based on all my experiences and and authenticity and I've, I've really loved it
0: yeah
1: I bet I'm this character that's doing the and I've just it's, it's just been fun it's been real fun I'm halfway through the next one I would
0: yeah. definitely buy it You, um, that was really interesting I know we haven't I know that you lost your parents and I know that after you lost your father, you were writing the eulogy and realised that you didn't know things about him that you would like to have known. Was there something in that? Because you just said that your kids wanted to know stuff. Yeah. There's something in that that triggered that?
1: Uh, yeah. Some con- yeah. Actually, that, yeah. That's like your
0: yeah, version yeah. of that, isn't it? Yeah. I,
1: well, yeah no, you know, you, you, it's funny because people talk about, you know, all even military people, people go, "Oh yeah, my dad was in this, and sounds I was that," but he, he never talked about it. I thought it's a bit weird because I mean, I do talk. We all talk to our partners, and our, you have to talk. You don't tell them the intricate details of SAS operations stuff, but you do talk about what you've been doing. Because fucking, hell, you can't just go. I'm not talking to you about the last month of my life. You're like, who am I married to? And we're with and your kids will be like, who is this? So you did tell, I did tell him stuff. It was just the funny stories and the stories that were in the book that I hadn't really told them. Yeah. So yeah, I think that did trigger that, you know, m- my dad, but well, he wasn't so much, he, I kind of knew him, but I didn't know he knew as much about me. He, he never, he wasn't one of those people. And it all came out later on when I found all this stuff. And that was kind of heartbreaking. And I thought, I don't want my kids to think that. I want them to know that I think about them. I want them to know that a lot of them. I want them to know that I would be there and do anything for them. And I do, and we, we're a very close family, you know, and that's what we do. And again, that did push me that direction because I didn't feel I had that. But I realised why. It was a different time, then it was a different era. It was about surviving, you know. Dad had to be he literally worked twelve-hour shifts, and my mom did the same. Yeah. You know, very, we both together in the house because it yeah. couldn't be. So yeah, so it was different, and yeah, so that did trigger for me to do this and write these things. And I'm really glad. Well, I hear people go, yeah, well, you know, he shouldn't really talk about it. That's nonsense. Most people say, yeah, he he doesn't really talk about it. And the truth is probably because he hasn't fucking done nothing. He hasn't really done a lot. You know, in the military, not everything in the military is full on doing crazy stuff like we've been doing. I've been fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. A lot of people do 22 years and haven't really got a a proper story to tell you other than being in the pub and having a fight. You know, I'm not being derogatory to anybody because people say what they want to say and I respect that. It's just, you know, so it was a bit awkward, but now I'm enjoying it and I, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it.
0: Is there anything that you wish you'd done more of?
1: Um, I mean, looking back, I wish I'd have had more time at home watching the kids grow up, that sort of thing. <laughs> but you can't bring that back, you know. I <laughs> I'm with the family now and the grandkids and my missus and enjoy it I just enjoy life more now and I kind of guess as the young days of being a soldier you kind of become a bit selfish if I'm honest because you know you chase, you chase these jobs these operations you do you you want to be there you don't let the lads down you don't want to let yourself down you want to know what how this is going to go and you kind of Push yourself more and more towards that way. There were times when, in the regiment, for sure, I could have. There were times where I could have took a bit more time off. But I thought, I don't want to miss out. That that. I'm going to stay a bit longer or, or volunteer on that. You know, I think if I went relive that again, I probably wouldn't do that. There was enough anyway going on.
0: Yeah, I suppose though. I mean, I can only liken it to a lot of the elite athletes that I've um, <clears throat> interviewed. The reason why yeah. they are elite athletes is because. Of, of those compromises you know of, because they're they're constant you know it's full focus or, or or they're never going to be elite athletes quite frankly you yeah. know of it has to be a bit all nothing doesn't it and and that is the same as your world you sort of that was your route that was what you chose and that's what you needed to do all along
1: yeah yeah I guess yeah you, you know you just you want to stay in the game, you want to stay focused, you want to keep improving, you want to keep going. Yeah. And part of our ethos is, you know, the, the pursuit, pursuit of excellence, yeah. you, you've got to keep going. You're only as good as your last job. And that last job was the day you finished, the minute it finished, that was that's history. Mm-hmm. That's already history, you know?
2: Yeah. All
1: right, it's recent history, but it's still history. So what's going to come next? What do? What can I do next? And everything we did, there was never one day, no, n- never two days the same, never. You know, it was never two operations the same. It was Always different. Everything was always different. It was always got your own toes, thinking outside the box, and coming up with some of the wildest, craziest ideas and situations. And it was he was enjo- frightening but enjoyable. You know.
0: When are you going to start writing your next book? Then.
1: Well, I have. I've started writing the sequel to Call to Kill now, yeah. which is now. Matt Mason, the character, which is me, is out the SAS now, and now in this crazy world of conservation, and there's some interesting stuff that comes out in that, which is real, but written as fiction. Oh, I'm definitely
0: going yeah. to buy called Kill, then.
1: We'll, I'll play through the, the, the next one, the next uh, fiction book, which we haven't got a name for it yet.
0: And then what happens next in your world?
1: I'm going to continue doing this um, TV stuff as, as long as it keeps going. Um, I'm going to do some crazy parachute jumps towards the end of the year, probably. Um,
0: Why? What Are they on your bucket list?
1: Yeah, yeah. one's Mount Everest, jumping <sighs> from Everest, and the other one is possibly a world record, but I won't say a lot about that yet.
0: What's Liam? Yeah. I really want to have a go at base jumping.
1: Yeah, it's not actually base jumping. It's, it's from an helicopter. We're going to go to base camp, take off from base camp, and then jump at the same height at the side of Everest.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I love, yeah. I love jumping out of planes. I really want to get my, um, I, I don't do know, I, I need to get um, my solo jump. Yeah. I know that it's quite a long process to even be able to do that, but I would quite like to get that
1: done. Well, no, you can have to get that done in a week. You really? Get, yeah, accelerated free full course, yeah. Uh, okay. It's just as safe as everything else. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've got people who can push you that direction, who I work with. Yeah. One's a, a female instructor. She's awesome. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, her and her husband uh, do it together. She's brilliant. They're both brilliant. So if you ever wanted to do it, you can get it done in about seven or eight days or less, as long as the weather's good. And yeah. you're perfect.
0: Oh. Yeah, I might tap you up on that. Okay. <laughs> good. Is there anything <laughs> that I haven't asked you about?
1: No, I mean, the only other, other thing that people don't really know about me is my charity work and all that sort of stuff, but a lot of it's in the book and and why that came about and that, you know. Let us know, uh,
0: in particular?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when I went out, I ended up. You know, we're all charitable people as always, you know, when we are, you know, people, whether you've, you've done a run for cancer, you've done a walk, you've done this, we've all done, everybody does it, but you never really follow up and understand why you're doing it. Yeah. I know you're doing it to help somebody, but we don't really chase to what is it really all about? What is giving to charity? What does it really mean? You know, and I, I, I do a thing about it. I learned it really when I went out to Haiti. I went to Haiti 10 days after the earthquake. And it was horrendous. You know, bear in mind, I've been in conflicts all my life. I've seen death, destruction, and big numbers of people killed. But then when Haiti happened, which was a natural disaster, and over 250,000 people were killed. In one little earthquake, you know, and the realities of that, and going out there and seeing that for my own again, seeing it, being part of it, and then realizing, you know, how fortunate we are around the world. You know, today we've got more billionaires in the world, and yet we've got fucking kids without education, and kids starving. I mean, come on. Yeah. What, what's going on? It's ridiculous. So you kind of going out of Haiti and seeing the resilience of the people under the circumstances they are in. And they weren't asking Give me, give me. All, the, all they only wanted one thing, and there is only one thing when you're working in charity and giving charity and helping with charity. One thing you want to be aiming to give, and that's dignity, dignity back to the people who are suffering. And then that that generally is in the shape of letting them give them the tools to allow them to stand on their own two feet. And in Haiti's case, was all they wanted was a job. The fact that they lost the house, the the family, you know, the women in the street asking, they weren't asking for clothes and money, and they're asking, give me a job. Give me a chance to build my life again, a chance to build my community, a chance to build a family again. And, you know, so learning that out in 80, 10 years, 11 years ago, has made me strong to dealing with charity We're dealing with the right way. Follow where that you money and give him money. Give and Where does that money go? Follow where it goes. Make sure it's going to the right place and doing the right things. We have our own charity out there, you know. It's, uh, and it's always, a, I'd say, it's a turnkey to ending, uh, trying to end poverty. You know, will we ever get there? I don't know. We could easily get there in one day for off the billionaires did their fucking decent, decent I reckon. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's about, so I take kids off the street of Haiti, uneducated kids with no homes, come through a schooling program, proper schooling, which we raise the money for clothing and do all that sort of stuff and food for them. And then into an education, um, job training. And if they do finish their education, do job training, and my wife's got a factory and she gives them a job. So they go through all that process into a job and they can look after themselves. It's a great process. It's hard, but it's a great process. Great feeling. It's a great thing. And that's, we've got kids that we've literally, kids that lived on a car bonnet on the street, educated now, job trained, running the factory. One of them's in, in university about to be a doctor coming from a homeless living on the street, you know, so it's amazing. So, yeah. That's my charitable work. That, that's that side of it. That's my main charity, but I also help Phoenix Heroes, which is for soldiers, were brilliant as well. Um, awesome bunch of helping veterans and various other charities, including I'm an ambassador to the Tommy Club for the Royal British Legion, helping veterans and soldiers there. So there's quite a bit. but
2: oh, that's understand.
1: A- it's a massive part of my life, now, and that's why I love the job I'm doing. It, it gives me a platform to, yeah, to be raise a- me, a- awareness. And do that, you know, to give back basically.
0: Yeah.
1: to be here and, because somebody gave me an opportunity, it's good to give back and give someone else a chance. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Bloody good for you. That's really.
1: It's 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 better than winning the lottery. You know, seeing some little kid who's had nothing because I was that little shit. Yeah. I'll give him a chance, and some that old guy that I attacked, I attacked, gave me a chance, and he did. He, I wouldn't be here now if it went for him. No. It's easy to judge. It's easy to judge. It's easy to ignore as well.
0: Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah,
1: and yeah. unless it's really slapping you in the face, or you really want to be part of it, it's you know, nothing really changes, does it?
0: Well, right. I'll make yeah. sure I put all of your links um, in the blurb as well, and um, we'll direct everyone to the various organisations and make sure that they're highlighted too. Thank you very much for your time.
1: And yours. It's been good, actually. They sat in the garden as well, it's amazing.
0: I know, we're so (laughs) lucky, aren't we? I
1: was expecting dogs to start barking, planes to start flying over, but it's actually quite nice and peaceful.